You're listening to another premier old-time radio program at Pedango.com and also a proud member of the Blueberry Community. Another Humphrey Camardella production. Hi everybody, I'm Wong Zeus, and welcome to Thanks for the Memories. Here's the Jack Armstrong Show from November 21, 1940. Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! Jack Armstrong! The All-American Boy! Wave the pipe and let some high boys show them how we stand. Ever shall keep me champion from throughout the land. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Hello? Mr. McCormick? Yes? This is Larry. Don't say a word to the fellas and girls until I get there. But Larry... I'll be there in just a second. But we're on Tomorrow, the... Mr. McCormick, I'll be seeing you. Well, I'll be doggone. Well, here I am. Say, that was quick. Oh, I'd have been here sooner, but I got held up by traffic. But say, I got something important to tell Jack Armstrong's friends. It's about... The Luminous Dragon's Irene, right? Right. Okay, go ahead, Larry. Well, I've just found out that if you don't get your order in the mail by midnight next Monday, you won't be able to get a Luminous Dragon's Irene. Now, that is important, isn't it, Mr. McCormick? You bet it is. Next Monday at midnight is absolutely and finally the deadline. And say, fellas... If you could see one of these key rings, I'll bet you'd have your order in the mail so fast it would make my head swim. I've got a dragon's eye ring right here on my finger, and it's plenty swell. Why, it looks almost like beautiful white old ivory. There are a couple of crocodiles on the side, and their jaws are wide open, holding a swell, genuine, ten-eyed eye. And, uh, But does it fit you, Larry? Oh, I'll say it does, Mr. McCormick. You see, the tails of the crocodiles make the band of the ring. And they can be spread or squeezed to fit any size finger. But there's something else that makes the luminous dragon's eye ring different from any other ring I've ever seen. Look here, Mr. McCormick. I'll take the ring off and then cut my hands around it. Now, look through this little crack between the fingers. Here, let's see. Well, I'll be doggone. Why, that ring's glowing just as if it was filled with some kind of magic green fire. You bet. But you ought to see it at night when it's pitch dark. Gee, it looks just like the green eye of a dragon. And all you have to do to make it shine in the dark is to put it out in the sunlight or near some other bright light for a little while. Well, fellas and girls, this is your one and only chance to own a luminous dragon's eye ring. They're made especially for the friends of Jack Armstrong, and they're not for sale in any store in the United States. Now, here's all you'll have to do to get one. Tear off the top of a Wheaties package and nail it together with 10 cents in coin and your name and address direct to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all there is to it. But don't wait or you may be too late. Send in your order for a luminous dragon's eye ring to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota today for sure. And now Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Jack and Billy and Betty had received a note from Uncle Jim telling them to meet him at the Yochan restaurant, Manila. They know that the international adventurer, Dr. Shapato, with Blackbeard, Lazaro, and others, 
are trying to steal an important short and luminous ring from Uncle Jim. And they suspect that the message may not be genuine. Nevertheless, they have left their schooner spindrift anchored in Manila Harbor and are on their way in a taxi to the Ochan restaurant to see what it's all about. just the shortest way. It certainly must be the darkest way. No. The more I think of that note from Uncle Jim, the more I think it was forged. I don't really believe that Uncle Jim is at the Yochan restaurant. But gee whiz, Jack, it was certainly in Uncle Jim's handwriting. And Uncle Jim said he'd get word to us, Jack. But Blackbeard overheard him say he'd get word to us. And as for the handwriting, well, that Chapato is pretty smart. I'll bet he could forge anybody's handwriting if he wanted to. But why should anyone want to get us there, Jack? They might know that we wouldn't have the chart and ring with us. Oh, wait a minute, Billy. They know that Uncle Jim isn't on the Spindrift now. Maybe they want to go on board and try to find the chart and ring while everyone is ashore. Well, they'll have a bad chance of finding the chart and ring. Uncle Jim said he had it hidden where no one could find it. Not unless they take the ship apart. But Chapato doesn't know that. Maybe he thinks it's hidden in just an ordinary place. Well, it's not hidden in just an ordinary place. When Uncle Jim hit it, you can bet your boots it'll take some hunting to find it. Well, here's that big, thick wall again. We're going to go through it. We're going through a sally port. Oh, look, we're back on the waterfront again. I can see the lights of old steamers tied up to the dock. It's not the main waterfront, Betty. It's the Pasig River. It flows into the harbor. Well, whatever it is, Jack, I don't like it. It's too dark. And there isn't anything here but crumbling old warehouses and queer-looking little Chinese shops. Jack, I think you're right. I don't believe Uncle Jim would ever ask us to meet him in this part of town. I don't know, Betty. The note said he had news of the constabulary sergeant he was looking for. This is just the part of town where the constabulary sergeant might be. Well, I still think that we'd better go back and wait for Uncle Jim at the hotel. It would be safer, Billy. But suppose Uncle Jim is really waiting for us here. Suppose it's important. Then we might upset his plans by not meeting him. And anyway, Billy, Jack telephoned the hotel and left word for Uncle Jim where we were going. So if Uncle Jim isn't here, he'll get the message, and if anything happens to us, he'll know where we are. But that may get Uncle Jim in a jam, Betty, if he tries to come and get us. We know that he won't bring the police with him. Gosh, it'd ruin all his plans if the story of the lost uranium got out. We'll have to be careful not to get Uncle Jim in a jam. Waterfront Street is dark, isn't it? If it weren't for the lights of those old steamers tied up at the wharves, we couldn't see a thing. Look, Jack, ahead of us. There's a sign that says, Yo Chan Restaurant. We're almost there. We'd better drive past it first and take a look at it. Driver, go on past the Yo Chan Restaurant and then stop. I hope you understand English, Jack. He understood. He nodded his head. It's not much of a restaurant, is it? It's right on the waterfront, too. It's just the sort of place Chapato and Blackbeard might use. But it's just the sort of place where Uncle Jim might find the constabulary sergeant, too, Betty. All right, driver, stop here. You stay here in the taxi, Betty. Billy and I will walk back and give the Yochan restaurant a good looking over. If Uncle Jim's really inside, we'll call you. All right, Jack. But do be careful. I just know that Chapato and Blackbeard are up to some mischief. We'll be careful, Betty. If we come back on the run, you'll have the taxi driver start up his engine and be all set to speed away. We'll have the engine going and the door open, Jack. Come on, Billy. Let's see if Uncle Jim is really in the Ochan restaurant. Gosh, this is sure a spooky part of town, Jack. Why, there's hardly a light shining, except on the steamers and in the restaurant. It is sort of a mysterious part of town, isn't it, Billy? Even the warm night air smells mysterious. Hemp and spices and coconuts and all sorts of things. I'll bet you these old wharves could tell plenty of stories if they could talk. We want to make sure they don't have any stories to tell about us, Billy. Here's the restaurant. It's got a large glass window in front. We'll just walk by and see if we can spot Uncle Jim in there. 
there. Now you can see the whole restaurant, Jack. It's almost empty, except for a couple of men at one table. They look like Chinese. Don't stop, Billy. Keep on walking. Don't give them a chance to see who we are. Oh, we're past it now, Jack. I didn't see Uncle Jim, did you? He certainly isn't in there. The whole thing's a frame-up, Billy. Let's walk around to the back of the restaurant, Jack, toward the river. We might see something on that side. All right, Billy, it looks safe enough. No one seems to be on the lookout for us. It's all dark around the back end of the building, Jack. No, it's not, Billy. There's a bit of light seeping through a chink in the wall. Something's going on inside. I'll bet you that this is Dr. Chappato's headquarters. I wouldn't be surprised if this is where his whole crew hang out. It'd be a good place for them. There's nothing back of this building except the wharves and some old lifeboats stacked up. <gasps> There's an old schooner tied up at the wharf. An old Filipino schooner. There's a light in the main cabin. Maybe that's Chappato's headquarters on the old schooner. Listen, Jack. I heard a car driving up in front of the restaurant. <clears throat> Someone's getting out. They must be going into the restaurant. Maybe it's Uncle Jim. Let's go to the front and see. Easy, Billy. Let's take it slow. It's not Uncle Jim. If someone else is still in that car, we've got to be careful. We'll edge around the side of the building and see what we can see. It's all right, Jack. We'll stick right in close to the side. I can just see the front of the car now. There's Betty in the street. She's left the taxi. She's looking for us. Something must have happened. I'll give her the old whistle so she'll know where we are. She hears you, Billy. She's coming this way. She's running. She must have discovered something, Jack. Here we are, Betty. Right back in the building. What's the matter? Jack, did you see that car drive up? We heard it, Betty. Who was in it? That was the car that ran into our taxi. The same two men were in it. They went into the restaurant. Oh, Billy, Jimmy, we better get away from this place. You're right, Billy. We'll get back to the taxi and go to the hotel. <gasps> did you hear that? Someone's leaving the restaurant. There they are. We can see them. Look, one of them is pointing at our taxi. Gosh, all hemlock. They suspected we're around here somewhere. They're going to hunt for us. One of them's coming this way. <gasps> and the other guy is going around on the other side of the building. Oh, Jack, what are we going to do? If they see us, they'll call the whole crew. We can hide behind those old lifeboats near the wharf. Follow me, quick. Boy, am I glad it's dark now. This way, Betty. Right behind this pile of old lifeboats. Here we are. They can't see us now. Look, Jack, we got here just in time. There they are. They're looking for us. They still think we're here somewhere. They'll be over this way in a minute. Here they come now. Now, this is getting bad. We'd better climb into this old lifeboat, the one on top of the stack. They'll never look for us there. Come on, Betty. Quick. Easy, Betty. Easy now. There. They can't see us, but they can hear us if we make a noise. Get in, Betty. I'm all right, Jack. So am I. Hurry, Jack. I'm in now. Crouch down so they can't see you. They're coming this way. This suspense is awful. I wish we could see what they're doing. I can see them, Betty. I'm looking through this rotten plank with a hole in it. I can see everything they do. What are they doing, Jack? Are they looking for us? You bet they're looking for us. They're looking all around this stack of lifeboats. I hope they don't try and look inside this lifeboat on top. I don't think they will, Betty. Billy, one of them's going to that old schooner. Then that schooner must be a part of Dr. Chappelle's headquarters, Jack. Is the other man going, Jack? Can we slip away now? Not a chance, Betty. He's standing by. He's watching everything. But you and I could handle him, Jack. Yeah, we could handle him all right. But he gives the alarm and we find a whole flock of Chappelle's men coming out of the restaurant. We'd never get back to the taxi. Uh, it's a good thing I paid the taxi driver. I had to anyway. He wouldn't let me leave until I did. Betty, not so loud. We don't want that chap to hear us. I wonder what the other man is doing at the schooner. Can you see him, Jack? I can't see him now, Billy. He went down into the main cabin of the schooner. But I can see the schooner. Maybe he thinks we went on board the schooner, Billy. Oh, it's the open gym, lady. That'd be a darn fool thing for us to do. Why, for all we know, Chappato himself may be on that schooner. We left Chappato on the Black Shark in the harbor, Billy. 
But Blackbeard and some of the crew may be here. Is the other man watching now, Jack? Couldn't we try to slip away? No, he couldn't help but see us if we did, Betty. Wait a minute. Someone's coming up from the cabin on the old schooner. It looks like... Say, it's Blackbeard. Is he getting off the schooner? Not yet. Someone else is coming up. It's the same man who was looking for us. Is Blackbeard going to help him hunt for us? There's a third man coming up. He looks familiar, but I can't quite place him. Are you sure it isn't Chapato, Jack? No, it's not Chapato. They're all coming off the schooner now. Wait, I know who the other chap is. It's Lazaro. Lazaro? The only tongue fellow who drew Jitsu Dean back in San Francisco Harbor? That's the one, Billy. Quiet now. They're coming this way. What are they going to do, Jack? Are they going to hunt for us some more? I don't think so, Betty. They look as though they're going back to the restaurant. Yep, they're going back. Oh, that's a break for us. Once they get inside the restaurant, we can slip away. Tell us when we can get out, Jack. I'm all twisted up from crouching down inside this lifeboat. It'll be safe in half a jiffy, Betty. No, it won't be safe. They're leaving one of the men in back of the restaurant to keep an eye out. Oh, but we'll never get out of this place. Billy? I've got an idea. We can get on board that schooner without the lookout man seeing us. You mean... That's just what I mean, Billy. We'll leave Betty here to give us a signal if they come back. You and I can get on the schooner and see what Blackbeard and Lazaro are up to. Say, that's a mighty risky thing that Jack's planning to do. But if they can really find out something important, it'll be worth the risk of going on Lazaro's boat. It'll be too bad if Blackbeard and Lazaro come back unless Betty can warn them in time. And by the way, where's Uncle Jim? He should have received Jack's message by this time. Is he on his way to the old chair restaurant? Jack and Billy and Betty may meet him before they're through because exciting things are going to happen on the schooner. So be on hand, all of you, at the same time tomorrow for another thrilling episode of The Charlton Lane with Jack Armstrong's the All-American Boy. Say, have you seen any of your friends' luminous dragon's eye rings? Well, it's my bet that if you have seen one of these amazing rings, you've already got your order for one in the mail. And I don't blame you a bit. The luminous dragon's eye ring is different from any other ring I've ever seen. Think of it. This beautiful ring actually glows in the dark as if it were filled with a mysterious green fire. But remember, if you're going to get one of these rings, you've got to act fast. Tear off the top of a Wheaties package and mail it together with 10 cents in coin and your name and address to Jack Armstrong, Minneapolis, Minnesota. But don't wait. Get going. Send in your order for the amazing Luminous Dragon's Eye Ring tonight for sure. Have you tried the Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all of them brand. Won't you try Wheaties? This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Best breakfast food in our land. Wave the piper hats and high boys. Show them how we stand. Never shark in each That was Jack Armstrong from November 21, 1940. Now, here's a part of the interview with Chuck Shaden. Well, Chuck, maybe you want to, uh, you were nice enough to send me a CD of some of the interviews, and uh, 
I guess we sort of set up the first one a little bit. Anything else you want to mention about uh, Jack Benny? Well, as I said, we mentioned we met Jack Benny on the 3rd of September of 1970, and uh, I uh, well, I asked him a number of questions, and uh, if you just want to go into the interview, you you can join me backstage at the theater in, in uh, suburban Chicago uh, almost uh, 34 years ago. What happened was, the last year that I was with General Foods, so I had a few shows that weren't as hot. But I still had a lot of great shows. So this was in the middle 40s? It was, oh, so, something. The so-called famous Jack Benny slump, that you yeah, moved they, from number one to number seven. Or something like that, or something. Or they thought, so they practically said to me, uh, watch it a little bit because some of the shows as though every show had to be perfect you know see I spoiled them so the minute they said that I went to my and then they went back to New York now they didn't have an option the thing was over but they did want to pick give me a new contract but the way they said to me just watch a little bit I got mad so I said to my manager I said, let's get another sponsor. I don't want to be with them. And we wired them on the train as they were going back that we will not be with them anymore because right away I had like four or five big offers from Lucky Strike from everybody, mm -hmm. and we grabbed Lucky Strike immediately. Then, of course, Jello came back and said, we didn't mean to hurt your feet, all this and that, but it was too late. So then I stayed with Lucky Strike for years. Yeah. yeah. Is it true, Mr. Benny, that, that uh, NBC once gave you an option on the uh, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock time slot uh, yeah, on Sunday night? Yeah, they told me as long as I would stay with them, I could have that time. Now, this was not, not in writing, but it was a definite agreement that I could have that time as long as I wanted to stay with them. But when I moved to CBS, CBS gave me exactly that same time. So I moved, and I didn't want to leave NBC. I loved NBC. But I had to make some kind of a deal where I could make some money, because here I was getting a terrific salary, and it was all salary. And I couldn't make a deal for a company. Well, I wouldn't care if I got a million dollars a week. That wouldn't do me any good. What good would that be? But the income all tax, right? right? Sure. Right. So the ones that made me the deal and came right through with it quick was CBS. Then, of course, when NBC realized I was going to go, then they were willing to make a deal. But I didn't want to play one against the other, so I merely took CBS. I don't know. Most people realize, and I think exactly what happened, at one time the tax bracket was uh, up to 95%. Mm -hmm. So that helped right. explain why Jack needed to make the move. Well, that's right. As he said, he, he, wasn't, making any, he wasn't making enough money there, you know, out of doing all of that stuff. So, But that's how we, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's how we made a switch. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was always a lot of, connection between uh, 
you know, people would say, well, why did you move? And it was all a matter of this capital gains deal that he had. But I don't know if I've never heard, I never heard the story before that he wired him on the train. No, that's, a, that's the first time. I don't think anybody had ever had that one except for you. Well, anyway, now we all have it. It's, uh, it's, it's all, all down and, and, and the nice conversation with him. With him. One, of, one of the most exciting times of my life was uh, meeting Jim Jordan, who, who played Fibber McGee and Molly. I always loved listening to Fibber and Molly when I was a kid. And uh, one day I found myself seated across from him on a sofa in his living room in Beverly Hills, California. He lived up on Tower Tower Drive, and he had I had made a contact, and he invited us to come up, invited me to come up and uh, sit down and do an interview, and we spent a nice long time talking about his his radio career, and uh, uh, subsequently I had an opportunity to work with him in a series of uh, broadcasts called Super McGee on the Good Old Days of Radio, which was produced, we produced it in 1974 for Chrysler Air Temp, the air conditioning company. And that is available on your website, is it not? That is. That series is, is available on the website. And the, the idea was we talked about... Fibber had an old-time radio, uh, an old radio that could pick up the old shows, and I was a fan of the radio shows, so I'd meet him at his home at 79 Wistful Vista, and we'd tune in on that radio. But that was a result of the, the interview that I had with him, which we didn't discuss this sort of a thing at the time because it wasn't even in the, an idea at the time. But I was there to talk with the man about his career, and I was very interested in finding out uh, some of the early things of the broadcast and how the hall closet developed, you know, the most famous sound effect of all on radio. And he told me, and it's in the book. And here he is. Anything that ever happened outside of 79 Whistle Vista, in, there was only one thing downtown uh, to Whistle Vista, mm -hmm. and that was 14th and Oak. Everything happened on the corner of 14th and Oak. The railroad station was there, the mm -hmm. post office was there, the great big high-rise building was there, and anything that we wanted, the park, it was always right on the corner of 14th and Oak. That was a pretty crowded place. <laughs> well, that's fantasy. And everything happened uh, around just a little light theme. Yes. And uh, I think the genius uh, behind that, of course, was uh, was Don Quinn. That's He'd right. come up with this line, and then the, the characters almost couldn't help but reacting in those different ways. All the storylines were came out of a meeting. Mm -hmm. not, not that Don didn't bring them in, mm -hmm. but we would hash them over, and and uh, sometimes other people would bring in something that would become mm -hmm. a storyline, but uh, that's, we always, we always had those, a couple of them ahead, mm -hmm. more or less, but he would develop them several times. We would give up on a show on Monday noon. Mm -hmm. Just, mm -hmm. We're ready, it's all on paper, ready to go, and it wasn't just coming off. I can remember him. He said, "Well, I'll, I'll start here and I'll take it home and I'll rewrite it tonight, Monday night. Mm -hmm. We do it Tuesday. We had, we had a lot of things that were pat that we could do that would take time that we, we knew were surefire, like mm -hmm. the closet and mm -hmm. this and that and the other thing. 
But that's very few writers can do that. What about that closet? As long as you brought it up, <laughs> that also I came was from the Smith good. family. It did. Yeah, the full closet with all of no. In the Smith family, I told you that they, these people became affluent. They mm -hmm. got dough, and they had a Davenport. They were lace curtain Irish people, but they had a Davenport. And this Davenport had a spring in one certain seat that would squeal when you sat on it. And if you wanted to embarrass anybody, you'd say, sit here. See? <laughs> and that became the, the they call it, it was a horsehair sofa, uh -huh. and which were in vogue in years ago. Uh -huh. And that was that became the Smith family's horsehair sofa. And uh, when you say anybody's is going to sit here, you, the audience would know what was coming. Mm -hmm. and, Now here's the Screen Guild players from November 24th, 1947. From Hollywood, Camel Cigarettes present the Screen Guild players. <laughs> Frederick March and Teresa Wright. Our play, The Best Years of Our Lives. Our sponsor, Camel Cigarettes. Experience is the best teacher. Try a camel. Let your own experience tell you why more people are smoking camels than ever before. Try a camel on your T-zone. That's tea for taste and tea for throat. Where you actually judge any cigarette. See if you don't say, like millions of other smokers, camels suit my T-zone to a T. with great pride, Camel Cigarettes presents the Screen Guild players in the picture that won nine Academy Awards this past year. Samuel Goldwyn's memorable story, The Best Years of Our Lives, starring Frederick March, Myrna Loy, and Teresa Wright as Al and Millie Stevenson and their daughter Peggy, the roles they portrayed so brilliantly in the screen with George B. Ban as Fred. The Camel Screen Guild players in The Best Years of Our Lives. <laughs> I got a hunch that most men feel the same way. Going off to war isn't so bad. The really tough part is coming home. That day there were three of us coming back. Coming back together. But that was an accident. We'd all hitched a ride on the same army plane. Fred Derry, an Army Air Forces captain, young and good-looking. Myself, Al Stevenson, infantry sergeant. Not too young and not too good-looking at the moment under a three-day growth of beard, and Homer Parrish, a sailor, just a kid, you might say, a kid who had two iron claws, where he used to have a pair of hands. Hightailing it for home like that, I guess we were all on the jittery side, only Homer was the one who showed it most, and the closer we got, the more he showed it. You know, from up in the air like this, I bet we'd be able to see the whole town, the high school and the football field. Boy, I tossed a lot of passes on that field. 
and the city hall and the parking. Hey, we might even see Butcher's place. You fellas ever been in Butcher's place? No, right. Uh, well, Butch Engel that runs it, he's my uncle. Well, maybe it looks just like a dump, but honest, that's the best joint in town. Good food, good drinks, and say, why don't we stop off there for a drink? Not today. Some other time. We'll get together there soon. Well, I, I, I just hey, thought... kid. Are you all right? Who, me? Yeah. Sure, why shouldn't I be? The Navy took care of me fine. They train me to use these hooks like nobody's business. I can dial a phone, I can drive a car, I can even put nickels into a jukebox. No, I'm all right. Except that... Except what, sailor? Well, you see, I've got a girl. Her name is Wilma. She lives next door. All oh, but Wilma's a swell girl. She is. And it'll be okay, Homer. You wait and see. Yeah, wait and see. But Wilma's only a kid. She's never seen anything like these hooks. You, you know... Riding in these planes makes you kind of sleepy. I, I think I'll go back and take a nap. I'll see you later, fellas. Homer's pretty nervous, huh? <laughs> who isn't? Yeah, who isn't? You married, Al? Uh-huh. How long? Twenty years. Twenty years? We didn't have twenty days before I went over. Married a girl I met while we was training in Texas. Well, now you and your wife will have a chance to get acquainted. Yeah. That's something you won't have to go through. <laughs> oh, you think not? Fred, when she opens the door, I'm just hoping one thing. What? I'm just hoping she'll have a drink in the place. Well, I can't stand here all day, I guess. Well, here goes. Maybe she's out. Maybe she's gone somewhere. Maybe she... I'll get it, Mother. Yes, did you... Dad! I couldn't be... Where's Mom? The living room. Peggy, who's at the door? Peggy, I thought... Al. Millie. Al, I look terrible. Who says so? It isn't fair of you to bust in like this. Well, I phoned you from Portland, darling. Now, yes, you... but you said you wouldn't be home to... Well, I got a break. I got a lift in an army plane. Are you all right, Al? Sure. Are you all right? Of course. Well, if you're both all right, I'll close the door. <laughs> Silly, wasn't it? Yeah. Stand here like this. Millie. I, I'd better go and draw your bath. How'd you like the dinner, Dad? Did we do all right by our returning here? That was fine. Fine, Peggy. Millie, didn't, didn't you uh, think it was good? Oh, yes. Very good. And this, uh, this coffee. It's wonderful. <laughs> then with that off my conscience, I'll get back to the kitchen and finish the dishes. Well, where's the maid? Is her night out? Our maid took a night out three years ago, and we haven't seen her since. You tell him, Mom. I'm too busy. What do you think of her, Al? Peggy? I don't recognize her. She's grown so old. I tried to stop her. To keep her just the way she was when you left, but she got away from me. I guess she has a lot of boyfriends, huh? She's very popular. Have you told her any of the things she ought to know? What, for instance? Well, I mean the things she ought to know. She worked for two years in the hospital. She knows more than you or I ever will. Oh, yeah. Want uh, more coffee, Millie? <laughs> don't you remember, dear? I don't drink coffee. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's all right, darling. It's terrifying. 
pacing won't help. Why don't you sit down and relax? I'm perfectly relaxed standing up. Is there such a thing as a drink in this house? I think so. Right here in the... Wait a minute, wait. I got a great idea. Hey, Peggy, come in here. What's up, Dad? We're going out in the town, the three of us. Not me, I'm going to bed. No, no, Peggy, you two, the three of us. Then I needn't bother opening Wait, it. wait, don't put that bottle away. Have to start somewhere, why not here? But, uh, I wasn't the only one with a nervous thirst that night. I guess it must have been about a dozen drinks later. Yes, sir, Captain, what'll it be? Bourbon, water on the side. Right. Hey, Chap, Fred! Homer! So you took my advice, huh? You came to Butcher's place. I had a hunch you might turn up here and... Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't you home? Why aren't you with your folks and, and Wilma? Oh, they got me nervous. They just keep staring at these hooks. Or else they keep staring away from them. Let's have a drink, huh? Not a bad idea. You know, Fred, all we need now is Al. Al? Say, I dropped him at the swankiest apartment house in town. You know what he is? A banker. We'll never see him again. I'll be, I'll be any day. That's my buddy, my old buddy. Hey, Billy. Really. Peggy, step right up and meet the game. Now, Al. Homer, Fred, meet Billy and Peggy. It's my wife and my daughter. Oh, that'll be a How do you do? Hello, I'm Peggy. No fooling. You mean you're really Al's daughter? Why not? <laughs> he didn't tell me about you. He didn't know about me. Hey, Fred, where's your wife? I want to meet her. I haven't been able to find her yet, Al. Uh, she moved and didn't leave her address. She works in some nightclub, and I've been to four or five. Oh, don't worry, Fred. We'll find her before this night is up. We'll deploy our forces and comb the town. Won't we, Millie? Oh, by all means. We got the Navy to convoy us, right? Over. Right. Okay, that sells it. Now let's sit down and do some serious drinking and dancing. Millie, may I have a dance? It would be a pleasure, sir. (laughs) That should teach you a lesson, young lady. You ought to keep a bottle at home. We had a bottle. That's what got Dad started. You know, I think he's just nervous, that's all. Well, that's plenty. Uh, mind if I sneak another one? Go ahead. Your stomach. Thanks. So you're Al's daughter. Yes, I, I have been for as long as I can remember. Somehow you you just don't seem like Al's daughter. Uh, actually, I'm not. He's my son by a previous marriage. I won't tell a soul. <laughs> Fred. Huh? What's on your mind, Peggy? It's after two. Why don't you go and call your wife? I don't know the number. She isn't in the phone book. Phone like book? That. We don't need any phone book. We're all set. Hey, Millie, go sit down and have a drink, huh? Darling, remember you said just one more. And I meant it, too. Just one more, Millie. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> Captain, my compliments to you, sir. Shall we fly? Shall we take some horse? Hey, he passed out. Yellow what? He's drunk. Come on, let's get him up with a lip. Peggy, you know what? What, Mom? He's drunk, too. Oh. Yes? It's me, Millie. Oh, well, uh, uh, just a minute. I'll get my bath off. I brought you breakfast. Oh, oh, thanks. Fresh orange juice? Of course. I wasn't sure. You see, I had a dream, Millie. I I dreamt I was home. I've had that same dream hundreds, thousands of times before. I wanted to be sure it's really true this time. Am Am I really home? It looks that way. Now get back into bed. Why? I'm up. You're being royally treated. You're going to have your breakfast in bed. Oh, I'd rather not. Sit down, Millie. I'd rather not. I, um... 
I'd better start straightening things up around here. I... I seem to have a vague recollection that we had a daughter. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Whatever became of her? Well, we brought Fred home with us last night, and she's driving him downtown. I think she likes him. Fred? Oh, oh yeah, Fred. <laughs> He's a great guy, even if he was in the Air Force. Well, that's about all I can do in here now. I, uh, I'd better start in the kitchen. Being all alone, I'll really? have to... Yes. Oh, Millie. My wife. Al. Al, darling. No, I'm I'm sure, Millie. Now I know I'm I'm home. Frederick Marks and Myrna Loy in Act Two of The Best Years of Our Lives. What happy days those were for everybody when the men began to come home from the war. And you saw for the first time more civilian clothes than uniforms on the street. All kinds of long-denied comforts and pleasures began to come back, too. Remember the first time you went right up to a counter, asked for your favorite brand of cigarettes, and got it? Yes, sir. And your favorite may well have turned out to be camels after that wartime cigarette shortage. Because it was during the wartime cigarette shortage when people smoked whatever brands they could get that so many smokers learned they liked Camels best of all the brands they tried. Yes, smokers compared most all of the different cigarette brands during the wartime shortage. Compared them for flavor, for mildness, and for all-round smoking enjoyment. And that experience taught more and more smokers that they like Camels best for rich, full flavor. Camels best for cool mildness. Yes, they discovered that for all-round smoking enjoyment, camels suit them best. Result? More people are smoking camels than ever before. Experience is the best teacher. Try a camel yourself. And remember, camels by the carton are the best buy. You save both money and time. Camel Cigarettes presents the Screen Guild players in Act Two of The Best Years of Our Lives, starring Teresa Wright, Myrna Loy, and Frederick March. I uh, should have thought more about it, perhaps. I mean, the fact that Peggy liked Fred. Millie mentioned it a couple of times, but I guess I was concentrating on myself. The time had come to start thinking of money. You know, that's how it goes. One year it's kill Japs, and the next it's make money. And so, before I knew it, I was back at the bank. Hi, Al. Oh, Homer. Look at this dough, Al. 200 leaves of cabbage. I get it every month from old Mr. Whiskers. Pretty soft, huh? Pretty soft. That's enough to get married on. You and Wilma set the date yet? No. Not yet, I... I ain't sure yet, Al. I... See, I saw Fred Derry the other day. He's working over at Bullard's Drugstore. He is? Doing what? Jerking sodas. Jerking sodas? Well, he said he couldn't get anything else. No experience. That's what he used to do before the war. Well, I bet he makes the best soda in town. No, I... I think he's having trouble with his wife. She's got big ideas. Yeah. Fella takes off his captain's uniform. You're doing all right. Vice president in charge of small loans. Yeah. Yeah, with special attention to ex-servicemen. They're a great bunch, Homer. They want to do things and build things. 
There's only one trouble with them. What's that, Al? Well, they don't don't always have enough collateral. You wanted to see me, Mr. Milton? Uh, yes, Al. Sit down. Al, I want you to understand that I'm speaking now not merely as the head of this bank, your employer, but as your friend. You know how I've always felt about you? Why, I picked you personally for the job you're doing. And I know you'll make good, but, uh, well, you handle this loan to uh, John Novak. That's right. I approve that loan, Mr. Milton. May I ask, Al, on what basis? The basis of my own judgment. Novak looked to me like a good bet. Al, that's an important point in granting a loan, character. But without collateral, without security... Security and collateral, Mr. Milton. In the Army, I've had to be with men when they were stripped of everything but what they carried around with them and inside them. You got so you could tell which ones you could count on. And I tell you this, Novak is okay. His collateral is in his heart and his hands and his and his guts. It's in his rights as a citizen. No one's denying him his well, rights. Sure we are. If we deny him the chance to work his own way... Then... Now, Al, we have every desire to extend a helping hand to returning veterans wherever possible. And we have helped a great many. But we must all remember that this is not our money we're doling out. It belongs to our depositors, and we can't gamble with it. You understand that, Al? Yes, sir. Yes, I understand, Mr. Milton. In the future, I must exercise more caution. Precisely. Now, it's getting late. You'd better run along home and get dressed for the big affair tonight. I'll meet you there, Al. 7.30, the Union Club. Al, I think it's very nice of Mr. Milton to give a dinner for his returning war hero. <laughs> you going to wear your uniform? Oh, anything but that. This darn bow tie. Give me a hand, will you, Millie? Sure. Thanks. Peggy's going dancing with Woody Merrill. Bill Merrill's son, huh? His intentions honorable? I doubt it. <laughs> but they're going to be properly chaperoned by Fred Berry and his wife. Fred? Oh, some chaperone. I think Peggy's crazy about him. Who, Merrill? No, Fred. Have you any evidence to support that amazing statement? No, just a hunch. Oh, boy. But my hunches are pretty good. Mom, does this tray look all right? Ah, cocktails. Dad, I made these for Woody Merrill. Surely you wouldn't deny your poor old father a drop in a bitter cold night like this. Well, one. Hmm. Not bad. I, uh, I hear you're going to see Fred. Yes. What's his wife like? I don't know. I'll tell you later. Al, you said one drink. Did I? <laughs> that was short-sighted of me. <laughs> Peggy, I was just wondering if, uh... Al. Never mind, Mom. I know what you're thinking. What are we thinking? You're both afraid that I may be in love with Fred. Why, I never had any such idea. Shut up, Al. Peggy, are you in love with him? Yes. But I don't want to be. That's why I asked him and his wife to go out with us. Once I get to know her, I, I guess I'll stop being so silly. Acting like a schoolgirl with a crush on... There's Woody. I'd better let him in. Excuse me. She's a great girl, Millie. Shakes up a pretty fair cocktail, too. I notice you like them. Yep. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that child. She can take care of herself. Sure. And how about you? And it is therefore peculiarly appropriate that we gather here tonight to honor one who has gallantly fought for our freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, we greet our friend, our co-worker, and our hero, Al Stevenson. Al, stop applauding. That's you. Hmm? Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very happy to be here. In fact, I'm very happy to be anywhere. 
In fact, I'm very happy. <laughs> I uh, would like to begin by telling a humorous anecdote. I know several humorous anecdotes, but I, uh, <laughs> I can't think of any way to clean them up. <laughs> I am glad to see all pulled through the war so well. As Mr. Uh, Milton so perfectly expressed it just now, our country stands where it stands today, wherever that is. <laughs> and I'm sure I could sum it all up in one word. <clears throat> no, my wife doesn't think I'd better sum it up in one word. <laughs> but I want to tell you that the reason uh, that, uh, for my success as a sergeant was due primarily to my training in the Corn Belt Loan and Trust Company. For instance, one day on Okinawa, a major comes up to me and he says, Stevenson, you see that hill? Yes, sir, he said, I see it. All right, he said, you and your platoon will attack said hill and take it. So I said to the major, but that operation will involve considerable risk. We haven't sufficient collateral. I'm aware of that, said the major, but the fact remains there is the hill and you're the guys who are going to take it. So I said, I'm sorry, Major, no collateral, no hill. <laughs> and so we, we didn't take the hill, and we lost the war. Now, I, uh, I think that little story has considerable significance, but uh, I've forgotten at the moment what it is. And finally, let me assure you that any opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views of the Corn Belt National Bank. I thank you. Well, you were great. I mean, really swell. Was I, Millie? Thanks. Why didn't I just leave it at the club? Here, take this. It'll make you feel better. Where'd you stop fizzing? Mom! There's Peggy. Come in, dear. I... I saw your light. You just got in. Have a good time? Not very. Well, what's she like? I'm glad I went out with him. Even though it was pretty disagreeable. It took guts, Peggy, but you got plenty. I'll need him. I've made up my mind. Good girl. To do what? I'm going to break that marriage up. You're going to what? You... I can't stand seeing Fred tied to a woman he doesn't love and who doesn't love him. It's horrible for him. It's humiliating. It's killing his spirit. Somebody's got to help him. You're sure he doesn't love her? Of course I am. Did he tell you so? No. Did she? No. So you just jumped to conclusions. He doesn't love her. He hates her. I know it. I know who it. Who are you, God? How did you get this power to interfere in other people's lives? Al, please. Peggy, is Fred in love with you? Yes. You've been seeing him. Only once. At the drugstore. He took me to lunch and when we said goodbye, he kissed me. And you think that a kiss from a smooth operator like Fred, do you think that means anything? You don't know him. You don't know anything about what he's like. And neither does she, his wife. Whereas you, possessed of all the wisdom of the ages, you can see into his innermost soul. Yes. Because I love him. Because I don't care about his uniform or his flight pay or his coming back and working in a drugstore. And, oh, what's the use? You wouldn't understand. You've forgotten what it's like to be in love. You hear that, Millie? I'm so old and decrepit, I've forgotten how it feels to want somebody desperately. Peggy didn't mean that, did you, darling? <sighs> no, I... I don't know what I mean. 
It's just that everything's always been so perfect for you. You loved each other and you got married. You never had any trouble, so how can you possibly understand how it is with Fred and me? We never had any trouble. Al, how many times have I told you that I hated you and believed it in my heart? How many times have you said you're sick and tired of me, that we're all washed up? How many times have we had to fall in love all over again? <laughs> Peggy, darling. I'm so sorry. Never mind about that. We love you, darling. Remember that. No matter what happens, remember, we love you. talk with you, Fred, and I thought Butch's place would be as good as anywhere else. It's okay with me. What's on your mind, Al? I just want to ask you a simple question. Roger. Shoot. Are you in love with Peggy? Is there any law compelling you to answer that? No. Nevertheless, I repeat. Are you in love with Peggy? Yes. I thank you for a short and honest answer. You're welcome. Now, what do we take up next? Your wife. Just where does she fit in this romantic situation? Is that any of your business? <laughs> That's what Peggy said. It's none of my business. Oh, so you've had her on the carpet, too? No, no. She volunteered some information. You see, we have a rather unusual relationship in our family. We tell each other things. I happen to be quite fond of Peggy, and I... And you don't want her to get mixed up with a heel like me. I haven't called you a heel. Yet. Okay, chum. What do we do? Step out and settle this thing in the alley? I wouldn't recommend that as a solution. I've learned a lot of tricks in fighting dirty. I might forget myself and break your neck. And I wouldn't like that. So you see, Fred, I'm fond of you, too. Thanks. But I don't like the idea of you sneaking around corners, taking Peggy's love on a bootleg basis. And I'm giving you fair warning. I'm going to do everything I can to keep her away from you, to help her forget you. Unless you want to do that yourself. Okay, Al. I don't see Peggy anymore. I'll put that in the form of a guarantee. I won't see her anymore. I'll call her up and tell her so. That satisfy you? Yeah. Anything else on your mind? No. Okay, chum. So long. Oh, and here's a buck for the waiter. Drinks are on me. <laughs> That was over a year ago. Peggy's never mentioned Fred since then, neither has Millie. Sometimes I almost wish they would. Homer's the only one who talks about Fred every time he comes into the bank. Seems that Fred's wife ran out on him, ran off with a guy that had more dough. They're divorced now, and Fred's got a new job. He's really heading somewhere, and he's a swell guy, Fred. I only wish I knew some way to... Al. Al, dear. Hmm? Don't make a golf date for Saturday. Remember, Homer's getting married. You think I'd forget a thing like that? An old pal of mine getting hitched? Not a chance. I just thought I'd mention it. Al, I suppose that Fred will be there. Yeah? Be nice to see him again, won't it, Al? Yeah, yeah, sure. Al, why don't we bring him back here to dinner? Huh? Millie, would, would you please say that again? I said, why don't we bring him back here to dinner? Oh, 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 Millie, darling, you're wonderful. Why? No reason. 
You're just wonderful, that's all. Let's have a drink. Now? Why not? The wedding won't be until Saturday. Oh. <laughs> Our stars, Myrna Loy, Theresa Wright, and Frederick Marsh will be back at the Camel Screen Guild microphone in just a few moments. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. That's a mighty impressive statement. It's based on a nationwide survey conducted by three leading independent research organizations. They asked 113,597 doctors, doctors practicing in every field of medicine and in every state of the union, what cigarette they smoke. The brand name most was Camel. So why don't you try a Camel on your T-zone? That's T for taste and T for throat. Your true proving ground for any cigarette. See if Camel's rich, full flavor isn't just right for your taste. See how Camel's cool, cool mildness agrees with your throat. And now, on behalf of Camel Cigarettes, our thanks to you, Frederick March, Myrna Loy, and Teresa Wright, for a deeply moving performance. Well, it was wonderful to be playing those scenes again with Teresa and Freddie. Yes, Myrna. And especially on this show that does so much to support the Motion Picture Relief Fund in its country house. Well, since everybody's so happy, here's something else to make you feel good. Every week, the makers of Camel Cigarettes send free camels to servicemen's hospitals from coast to coast. This week, among other hospitals, free camels go to U.S. Naval Hospital, San Diego, California, U.S. Army Station Hospital, Fort Riley, Kansas, Veterans Hospital, Kikotan, Virginia, Happy days, guys. Your camels are on the way. Good night, everybody. Don't forget, Monday night is always a brilliant event in the Camel Screen Guild Theater. Hollywood's greatest stars in Hollywood's greatest stories. Next Monday night, one of the most delightful comedies of the current season with two of Hollywood's outstanding stars, Ray Milland and Betty Hutton in The Trouble with Women. Be sure to listen. The Best Years of Our Lives was directed by Bill Lawrence, adapted for radio by Harry Cronman, with music by Wilbur Hatch, and was presented through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn, producer of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Myrna Loy is currently working in Mr. Blanding's Bill's His Dream House, an RKO production. Frederick Marsh will next be seen in Another Part of the Forest, a universal international production. Teresa Wright appears through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn and can be seen in the best years of our lives. Listen to Vaughn Monroe with Colonel Stupnagel and Pearl Davis on the air for Camels every Saturday night over most of these CBS stations. This is Michael Roy in Hollywood saying good night and won't you have a camel? This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was from November 24th, 1947. I'm Morgan Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday USA.
this is Bill Bragg, and you're invited to the Yesterday USA Family Reunion. The fun starts on Monday, July the 18th, and goes all the way through Sunday, July the 24th. We want you to call ahead so we'll know who's coming and what you want to eat. Bring it on down to my house, honey. There ain't nobody home with me. Bring it on down to my house, honey. I need to come with me. Tomcat's sitting on the railroad track. Well, he hollered out to Mama Cat. She answered back. Bring it on down to my house, honey. Now this year, there's only two rules. Rule number one is be sure and call before you come. And rule number two is don't come unless you call first. Now the best time to call is any night, Monday through Thursday, from 10.30 p.m. until midnight. The telephone number is 972-889-TALK. Give us a ringy dingy. Bring it on down to my house, honey. Ain't nobody home with me. Bring it on down to my house, honey. I need to come with me. My gal Sal, she makes good pie. I eat so much I can nearly die. Bring it on down to my house, honey. Ain't nobody home with me. Remember, the fun all starts Monday, July the 18th through Sunday, July the 24th. Every day, we're going to choose up sides and do something fun. You'll get the chance to meet me live and in person along with the Kimaloo. You can see our house, the Yesterday USA Studios, and meet a whole bunch of really nice people. So get on down here and don't forget to call ahead first, 972-889-TALK. And you can call any night, Monday through Thursday, from 10.30 p.m. to midnight. We're looking for you, so get on down here. Play the fiddle? Yeah, by crackies, I can play a little. Bring it on down to my house. Yeah, you better get on down here, and during this two-week period, this is your last opportunity uh, to let us know, uh, because we're starting to make some plans. I've already uh, got us fixed up to go to the war room at EDS, and that's going to be the highlight of your trip. That'll happen on Thursday. So uh, give us a call and help us out all that you can. Bill Bragg here coming to you on the last part of tape number seven for this, the two-week period that began on July the 4th. And we spent uh, lots of money uh, up there in Seattle, Washington, to make sure that you heard all of the goings-on from the old-time radio show convention. So if you uh, enjoyed that, and if you'd like for us to uh, cover the next convention, let us know in the form of a donation. You can help us out by going to yesterdayusa.com, and on the left-hand side of any page... Under how to help us, well, that's where you'll find out that we take cash, check, money order, or your favorite credit card. Or you can give me a call any night, Monday through Thursday, 10.30 p.m. until midnight, 972-889-TALK. And I sure do hope you come on down for the family reunion, because I sure would like to give you a big old bear hug. I'll be looking for you.
Hi, this is Pat Matthews for Humphrey Camardella Productions with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for all you Beatles fans. That Beatles collection of yours just won't be complete without the Pop Goes the Beatles limited edition collection. It's the Beatles like you've never heard them before. Not just the music, but never-before-released recording sessions, interviews, concerts, and a host of entertainment that's just not available anywhere else. And because of a special arrangement we've made with our sponsor for our listening audience, you're going to be able to purchase this complete 45-CD set of Pop Goes the Beatles, a regular $197, now only $179, shipping included. Or you can start your collection with Volume 1 for just $69.99. But remember, you must use the promo code POPCAST1 to get these great prices. We don't know how long this offer will continue, so don't miss out. Act today, and here's how you can do it. Call the toll-free number 1-888-9-BEATLE or go to BeatlesNetwork.com and order today.